brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. Welcome to another episode of Honest Money. T- today, we need to talk about, about money for a kind of a particular age group. We're doing a bit of discrimination today where we're not, we're not talking to the kids and we're not talking to old people. We're talking to millennials and maybe about millennials. And, and unfortunately, I'm a bit old for that category now. So I brought in some so backup for me on the show today. So we're, we're talking to Nozzy van Heerden. And Nozzy's a, a financial educator and, and an author, a public speaker, and, and has her own website that I think is really worthwhile having, having a look at, Talking Money with Nozzy. And I've got it open to the left here just to make sure I don't mess it up, Nozzy. And Nozzy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Warren, for having me. I've been a very long time listener of your podcast and love it. And I'm honored to be your guest. And I appreciate you, you sharing your time with us because I think it's, you know, it's an important topic when we're talking about money and, and we've got to make sure that, you know, our, our, our listeners understand what they need to do with their money. And, and so I think let's, let's jump in. You know, it's, it, it's nice thing about honest money is we can kind of go anywhere, right? So we don't have a, a, a talking plan where we've got to make some, some marketing person happy. But, but I think but maybe the first point is we're talking to millennials about, about their money and maybe what, what are the big mistakes that, that, that they tend to make with their money? Okay, so as a millennial myself, I found that what's the common mistakes, there are two of them that I want to address. There are many, but I'll address two. The first mistake is that millennials don't invest at all. So you'd be surprised that people who invest are largely still the older the older generation. And sometimes like millennials... Me, you can say it. It's okay. You can say it. Well, sometimes millennials have got a lot going on in their lives. So these are people in their 30s, approaching their 40s. So they're very busy. This is a very busy time in their life. So they're starting families or raising families. They're buying homes. They're buying cars. And they're also moving up in terms of their careers. So they've got... They're so busy. And they're mostly... Some of them are taking care or helping to take care of their families back home. And so they're taking care of all these responsibilities and they neglect to invest. The problem with this is that investing needs time to grow. So when we put it off and leave it for later, we are losing out on compound interest. So compound interest is that superpower that makes our investments grow with time. And the longer we stay uninvested, we are losing out. And by the time we wake up in our 40s or 50s, we have missed out on quite a lot of time. The second mistake is that those that do invest, let their emotions take over. So with the markets are doing well, and I think this doesn't affect millennials only. I think it affects everybody across the board. So when, when markets are doing well, everybody wants to pile in. They are buying, you know, the hottest, the latest high-flying stock, which are usually overpriced. They're usually overpriced. And, but when the market corrects and goes down, which does from time to time, people stop investing or worse, they sell their at a loss. And so, so with investing, we need to be more disciplined than that. And the benefits of long-term investing will only be reaped by those who stay the course. So you cannot make emotional decisions when it comes to investing. 
Paul, I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to find a, a debating point with you and I just agree with you hundred percent. So, okay. So, so now we, we identify two, two main issues there. And, and I think maybe the third one, just for my own, for my own senses is it's also the time as their careers are taking off and their earnings are going up that, that, that they get offered more and more debt from the banks, right? So that, because they can afford it. And, and so I'm just going to add, I mean, it's not, it's not really an investment mistake, but I think it's a money mistake is is the, the fact that a bank kind of on the app, I get it on the app and I hate it, but the bank says, you now qualify for X thousands of rands additional debt on your credit card, just click here. And, and the fact that you qualify and the fact that you're able doesn't mean you need to take it up. And I think that for me, maybe that's another big one is just, you know, using that weapon of wealth distraction debt, you know, and, and, and maybe abusing it is, is, is the point. So, so those are maybe the three that I would, I'd love to focus on, you know, just, just to, to get going. So, so we're talking about, about millennials making mistakes. What do they do? So, so let's maybe take your first one. So, so they don't, they don't start investing. And, it, and that's a fairly typical mistake, as you said, actually across age groups, but this is a key moment in time for them because they're starting to get additional income and, 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 and it's a real kind of lost opportunity if they don't get going. So, so what, what are some of the ideas that they can kind of implement to just get going? So the very first thing that I'd say is having a written budget. That's number one. A budget and a North millennial do not like budgeting. Actually, young people don't <laughs> like budgeting because it, it comes with a sense of shame. And I want to say to the people that I speak to personally that a budget creates a sense of awareness. It's not a tool to beat yourself over the head with. It's not something that should shame you into oblivion. Your budget is, is just raising your awareness of how you use your money. And if you are not aware of how you're using your money, then you, you cannot improve. So I always say to people, look at your budget as a way or an eye opener, and it'll give you areas of improvement. It'll show you areas where you need to improve. So like with me, I used to buy a, I love pizza. So I used to, I used to buy lots of pizza. <laughs> and I was not aware of this. I wasn't aware of this until I started budgeting. And so when I started budgeting and with my budget, I update it every week. So I'm, I'm always constantly updating my budget. And then I started noticing a trend that I actually eat too much pizza. Without the budget, I wouldn't have known because before pizza, I mean, I don't remember what I ate two weeks ago, but your budget is going to show you where your, your money is going and where you could be overspending. So the first place is to start with your budget. Your budget should show your income. It should show your fixed expenses. This is your housing, your transport, your food. And your budget should also show everything that you do with your money. And from there, you can then say, oh, where can I allocate this money that I'm currently maybe using too much of it in, on, on pizza or whatever it is? Can I start an emergency savings? Can I start investing, for example? But you can't know this without a budget. Unfortunately, I think it's such a good point. But, you know, if you talk to dietitians and you, and you kind of realize I, I hit that at age 30, I was, I was 17 kilograms heavier than I am now. And I was looking in the mirror going, whoa, I don't, I don't like what I see there. Mm -hmm. And, and the first thing that the dietitian does is that is she said, just keep track for the next week of everything that you eat, every single thing that you put in your mouth. Just don't, 
don't change anything. Let's just see what it is that you do. What, what are you putting in your mouth? And, and it's only by understanding what it is that you eat that you can start to say, well, hang on, that's really bad for me. Like that, you know, those are the calories I just don't need. And, and then I could cut them out. And, and it wasn't radical change. It's not like I, I changed my entire life and, and my behavior. I mean, it was, it was cutting out some small things, being consistent and, and little bits of change at a time. And, and eventually, you know, months and then one or two years later, I'm, I'm way lighter and, and managing to keep it off. And I think that the behavior you're talking about is exactly the same is if you don't know, you can't change. If you're sitting there and you don't know what you do with your money, how on earth do you figure out that you're spending too much on pizza? In your case, on, on my case, it was probably beer. I have to own it and saying, okay, great. So, so these are the changes. This is what I need to do to, to, to kind of tweak it. And I think importantly, I mean, budgeting sounds like such a swear word. You know, when I, when I kind of, you know, stand in front of an audience and I say to people, you've got to budget. You just see all the eyes roll up and it's like, I've, I've, I'm like a hypnotist. I've just put everyone to sleep. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's a spending plan. If you don't like the word, you know, it's just understanding what you do with your money. Gee, it can't be a source of shame. You know, it mm -hmm. is you, it's your life. And, and, and then really importantly there, I think is it's not the way you want to spend your money or you think it should be how you spend your money. Your budget is, this is what it is. This is my eating plan. This is how I do it today. This is, this is how I consume my money. And, and if you're going to make a change, it's small changes. You're not sitting there saying, I overspend by 5,000 rand a month and, and next month I'm, I'm not going to spend it. What, what's going to happen is you're going to say, I'm going to drop it by 500 bucks a month. Let me make a small change because small changes are sustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the nice thing with the budgeting is there, there are so many templates online. So a lot of people don't even know where to get started, how to get started. You can simply just go online, download a budgeting template, and it can be as simple as taking your a pen and a paper, if you're old school, and writing it down on a pen and a paper. You can use Microsoft Excel. Um, there's so many tools. There's even budgeting apps that you can download. So you are lost. You are spoiled for choice, literally. I mean, I think they're not one of our sponsors, so I'm giving them a free plug, but I think 22.7 did a pretty good job on actually building a really nice kind of much more automated budgeting tools. Not perfect, but I love, I love the visual way it shows you how you spend your money and helps to kind of guide you. Um, you know, it almost like helps us gamify ourselves, you know, to say, hang on, here's the bad money and let me like reduce the bad money and, and build the good money. And, and I think it's important, you know, we need to know, we need to know what to do and can't find excuses. And I think maybe that's, the one thing I want to say is, you know, don't, don't find reasons not to do this. You know, the, the, the point about money is if you're, if you've got debt issues or, you know, you're, you're building up bad financial habits, the only person that suffers over long periods of time is you, uh, you know, you, if you've got debt, you've got a debt issue. The person that's benefiting is the shareholder of the bank and, and surely, you know, you need to kind of take control to get to financial freedom. And that's what we're about in the show is you'd need to take control of your money. And, you know, and, and, and I think you made a powerful point. It's, it's. It's not unique to South Africa, but it is a South African problem that a lot of us deal with is, is you know, we, we've got to take care of family, right? We've got to take care of parents, children, siblings, aunts, uncles, and, you know, we've got responsibilities, you know, and, and I think that, you know, it's something we need to talk about a lot. And, and, and again, you know, when you get in an airplane and they do that safety briefing, the first thing they, or one of the first things the aerostat says to you is before you put the oxygen mask on the person next to you, put it on yourself. You've got to help yourself first. You've got to be in a position of getting the oxygen, of being able to breathe, of being able to live so you can help everyone around you. And, and for me, you know, that's an important thing in our country is, 
you know, there's so much pressure on young salaried earners, you know, people that are starting to make it in the, in the world to support their families. And, and I don't think for a second we're saying don't support your family. We're saying make sure that you're in a position to support them. You know, if you spend all of your salary on, on, on supporting your family and then taking on massive debts to, to support your family as well, what happens is in one, three, five years time, you're sitting with more debt than you can possibly deal with. And you become a, a victim of, of a perpetuated cycle where you just can't break the, the, the chain. So you need, to be, you need to be clear to say, I'm going to help. I need to help, but I need to be in a position to help. And that means I need to be strong. I need to be able to help from a position of strength, not a position of, of, of financial weakness. Absolutely. It's called pouring from a full cup. So you cannot pour from an empty cup. It sounds selfish, but I think... We need to have these conversations with our families, be realistic about our budgets and, and not be afraid to say, this is what I can do and I can't go beyond this. If your family loves you, and I'm sure they love you, they'll understand. They will understand. And, uh, and that means you help more of your family for a longer period of time. You make a much bigger impact over the, on their lives and you, and you help to kind of move, move everybody forward. And I think that's the key. You're right. It's not selfish. And, 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 you know, if one person's listening and we help them make that mental shift of not being selfish, I'm actually putting myself in a position to help. I think this is a, a, a successful show. And then I wanted to maybe talk about, you, you, you bring up a powerful point about emotion. So, so, you know, we're all victims of emotions, right? It doesn't matter your age, your gender, emotions drive investment decisions very often to the negative. We often make bad investment decisions because of, of emotions. So I'm fascinated to hear what you think about how we, how we control that. What do we do to, to stop the emotions overriding our, our logic? Well, first of all, is to be aware that we are emotional and that emotions can play tricks on us because a lot of times people deny it and those are the people that really, you know, you get surprised. So one thing to do is to, what I do personally is I try to avoid, I try to avoid negativity or negative news about the investment world or about anything in general because it doesn't help you. Negativity drives fear. It drives and, and so when you make decisions when you're scared, you're most likely to make the wrong decision. Same thing with excitement as well. So we should always try to be neutral. When it comes to investing, excitement or fear don't really, shouldn't really be the main decision factors that you use to make your decisions. It should be more well thought out, more logical. And I like to follow this advice. I don't know who said this, but Someone said investing should be like watching paint dry. It shouldn't feel, it shouldn't, you shouldn't get emotions like you're at Goldrush City. It shouldn't feel like you're at the casino. It should feel boring. And from that, that's how I have actually built my philosophy around investing. It shouldn't make me feel scared or excited. I should just, it should just be like paint dry, very boring, steady. And consistent. That's that's how I do it. I mean, I can't agree more. I think if you if you find investing entertaining, you're doing it wrong. And I think it's a you know it's a key point. And and then I, I see I watched how you tiptoed around it. I mean, but you know we've got to talk about FOMO, right? And and people who are investing and and getting that sense of fear of missing out. You know, everyone else around me is getting rich, and and I'm in the you know I'm missing out. And 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 then you dive in. Uh, 
the likelihood is that you're probably diving into something. You, st- you said it at the beginning of the show that it's a really expensive share and, and you, you buy it at perfectly the wrong time because that's just how, how life works around when you invest with FOMO. Or you end up buying a scam or you end up buying crypto at the top of the crypto cycle and everyone else around you is telling you how rich they got out of crypto and no, no one's telling you about the losses they made, right? No one brags about you know, that they, they bought it at 60,000 and it's now worth two. And, 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 and those are real stories. And, and you know, the, the, the truth is the most successful investors who do this incredibly well do, do it in exactly the way Nozzy described. It's, it's about watching paint dry. It's about having a strategy and saying, I'm going I'm to grow my money slowly but surely day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month. And when they look back, they go, well, my, my, my balance, my asset balance, not my bank balance, but my asset balance has got quite a few zeros on it now. And I had no entertainment from this. I, you know, I had entertainment from my sport and my TV and my friends and everything. My investment wasn't a source of entertainment. My investment was a source of financial freedom. And, and that's the point. Do you want to brag about it and, and you know, go out on Instagram and, and show how amazing you are because you bought something that went in at one and it's now at three and, and you get a whole lot of likes? Or do you want to be financially free? If you want to be financially free, investing is not exciting. It's boring but it's hugely rewarding and it gives you a lot of freedom to, to do a lot of other things. And those might be really exciting. I'm, I'm not for a second going to say that, you know, that, that investors are boring. It's just that the game of investing is not a game. It's a, you know, a long-term strategy and you've got to focus on that. Um, I, I like that. And I also think maybe, you know, and, and another, another tip would be, you know, like if you think about people that want to get fit, you know, what, one of the easiest ways to, to kind of get fit is, is get yourself a, an exercise buddy, you know, like commit to, to walking every day, but do it with somebody or go, you know, get a running buddy or join a running tab or whatever it is. And, and the point about that is it's positive peer pressure. It's, 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 you, you, you know, it's easy to lie in bed in the middle of winter in Joburg, where, you know, when it's minus two degrees and, and just go, oh, I'll, I'll make a plan tomorrow and I'll do something tomorrow. But if you know someone's waiting for you, they, then all of a sudden you get up and you get going. And, and I think that that's the key is, is, you know, if you, if you know that you, 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 you're, you're going to be a little bit emotional around your investments, get, get an investment buddy. And it's not someone that you're sharing the money with. It's, it's just someone that you say, hey, let, let's just hold each other to account. You know, we both want to invest. We both commit to a strategy and let's just have a discussion. And, you know, you can kind of pick up the phone to them or I suppose we're talking to millennials. So on, you send them a WhatsApp to say, I'm, I'm struggling. I might, I might be suffering from FOMO here or I might want to do this. I might want to sell or whatever. And your investment buddy goes, hang on. Just stay the course. And, and so that's a nice free tool that you can use where you can help someone else as well, hold them to account because, you know, it's easy to be unemotional and logical about someone else's money. And, and so that's the point is, you know, you, you know, you can use that kind of positive peer pressure. And if you're in a committed relationship, that's another way, you know, you know, couples do this better than, than individuals because they can hopefully balance each other out, but you've got to stay away from FOMO. Mm-hmm. And Nazi, we're running out of time. And I think I've talked to more, more than you have, I'm sorry, but. But I want to give you time to prepare for my last question, which is always my, my favorite question for, for guests. If you had to meet the, the now and 19 or 21 year old Nazi, what would be the one life lesson you would love to, to kind of teach yourself? Now, it can be about money. This is the money show, but if it's something else, equally good. But what would be the one kind of thing that you, you think you would, you would have loved to know when you were, when you were much younger? I'd have loved to know that I should. From day one, for me, from day one of earning my first salary, start putting money away. That's the, that's the one thing I tell my younger self, to start putting money away and have a budget and don't live life 
following in the footsteps of other people, like always trying to fit in, you know, keep up with your friends or keep up with whoever. Everybody's path in life is different and we can't all be the same. So if you see somebody driving my car that they're driving, you don't have to envy that. You don't have to aspire to that. That's not your path. Being more confident in what, in my values, what I value, because I mean, it took so much time for me to realize that actually I don't like cars that they're, for me, they're incredible waste of money, by the way. I, I, at the most, at the moment, I don't even drive at all and I'm doing fine, you know, but actually when I was younger, I had this pressure to, to fit in or to, to do things a certain way because I was not working. You don't have to do that. Charge your own cars. And you'll be okay. That's what I would say to my younger self. Such a powerful point. You know, we, we look around and we, you know, you drive around Johannesburg or even Cape Town and you look at all these massive cars and you know they cost millions of rands and you kind of wonder, how is it that everyone can afford these cars? And I'm driving my cheap little car. Like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Now, I can tell you from the benefit of having been an advisor to, to those, you know, to, to South Africans, rich and poor, for nearly 30 years, I'm getting old. I can tell you most of those cars are bought with debt. And, and so if you're driving around in your cheap car that's paid off, you're way ahead of most of the people driving the multi-million rand cars who live in 5,000 rand a month apartments, but drive 3 million rand cars. They're not making, they're not succeeding. You are. And, and I think it's such a strong point, Buzzy. Like, I just wish people, you know, would stop looking around and, and looking at everyone else. You're not in a race. You know, you're on your journey and, 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 you know, looking around and thinking you're doing worse than everyone else because of social media or because of what you see, what they show you. They're showing you a tiny little window of, of a much bigger picture. And that bigger picture might be very scary. The, the deck might mm -hmm. be massive. The concerns might be huge. And they're putting on a good show, but actually, you know, really stressed and, and, and really concerned about life. And I think it's important, you know, we need to be honest about this stuff. There's lots of people with lots of money problems, but they don't show it and, 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 and until life kind of falls over. So, so I think it's a great point. I think uh, the only other thing I would have said to myself is start buying solar. But that's about the only other point I would have added. But th thank you so much for for being on the show. It, it's a real pleasure to have you. I think you 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 know you add such valid points, and 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 I'm I'm glad we could we could agree on a lot of them. And and I look forward to having you back on the show again in the future. Yes, thank you, thank you, Warren. Because there's so much I want to say, and of course, time has you know time goes by quickly when you're you're enjoying yourself. So thank you so much for hosting me. I'd love to come back. So I'll be waiting for your invite. Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science, guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP.